It's All Relative with Susan Bradley, an original podcast series from News Talk. Welcome to It's All Relative. Today, as a bonus episode, I'm delighted to be talking to a sister of someone who's very much in our hearts. She herself has 39 caps for Irish rugby and leads a busy and fulfilled life as a teacher with her own family in Killaloo, County Clare. Today I'm talking to Rosie Foley, sister of the late Anthony, who was affectionately known as Axel. Anthony was an Irish rugby player and at the time of his passing, the head coach of Munster. He was a member of the Munster team that won the 2002-03 Celtic League and was the winning captain during their 2005-2006 Heineken Cup success. Foley played for Ireland from 95 until 2005 and captained the squad on three occasions. His final international was against Wales in the 2005 Six Nations. In total, Axel played in 62 matches for Ireland and scored five tries for his country. In March 2011, it was announced that he would take over as Munster forwards coach at the end of the season. He signed a contract extension with Munster in May 2013 and the following year it was announced that Foley would succeed Rob Henney as Munster's head coach, signing a two-year contract that began in July 2014. In October 2016, as head coach, and while staying at a hotel in Paris with the Munster squad who were due to play Rassing the following day, Anthony tragically died in his sleep on the 16th of October 2016. The cause of death was acute pulmonary edema. Naturally, the whole country were shocked and devastated at the early death of one of their men. A true Munster man, a true Irishman. He was brought home and laid to rest on the 21st of October 2016 in his beloved Killaloo. His legacy lives on in many ways through many gestures of his fellow colleagues, past and current players, forming a number eight before games after his death. He's remembered by the Anthony Foley Memorial Trophy commissioned by the Foley family and Munster Rugby. And a visage will be presented to all future European players of the year. And most importantly, through his own family, his wife Olive and his two sons, Tony and Dan, and his own family, Dad Brendan, Mum Sheila and his two sisters, Rosie and Orla. And today, this is Rosie's time. It's her story, her perspective, her life. I can't wait to hear. Welcome to It's All Relative. Rosie, welcome to It's All Relative. Thank you, Susan. It's lovely to be on with you. I'm so delighted you joined us. Thanks a million. This pod, as you well know, is all about family, siblings, mums, dads, brothers, sisters. Tell us a little bit about life back in the day, not too long ago, (laughs) when you were growing up. What was it like? I suppose we were really lucky in that we grew up in the countryside in Maru and County Limerick because that was where my mum was from. Yeah. My dad would be a Limerick City uh, boy, um, born born and raised, and my mother dragged him uh, to the countryside. And <laughs> really, we had a, an idyllic um, when we were growing up. Mm. It was it was actually, it was gorgeous. We were lucky with being allowed to roam in fields, um, my grandparents were next door. Um, we had a goat out the back. We drank goat's milk. We had, uh, there was chickens between the two houses. And so, you know, there was ready-made produce there. Uh, there was two channels on the TV. And any sport that was on, we, we played that sport, be it hurling, rugby, tennis, whatever it yeah. was. Uh, that's what we did. Um, Sounds amazing. My mom... Yeah, it was it was really it was it was really lovely. I'd go up to the creamery then on the back of my my Granny Jane's uh, high Nelly bike, and you know I'd get a bar of chocolate, and that you, you know that was our life until um, about seven until we moved from uh, Maru in the countryside to beautiful Killaloo, and my parents bought a pub on the main street in Killaloo, and then Killaloo and beautiful Ballina became. Um, our home and our new bigger playground I would say to you and a a huge amount of friends and we were very much introduced to the GAA and Smith O'Brien's hurling and a bit of camogie and that as well yeah. So when your your dad bought the pub and your mum like was that was is there pubs in your family or was that something that was a completely new venture and how did you as a family adapt to pub life? (laughs) 
Yeah, I mean, no, there was no pubs in, in, in our background at all. Dad was a sales rep, all right, for uh, C&C, Dewan's, um over the years. And I suppose uh, where the pub came from then would have been, Dad would have been in and out of, of different pubs and that. And I suppose as um, as a venture, as something new, um, they decided to to buy a pub. They had looked in Limerick and uh, then they we always had my parents actually met on uh, on the river in um, in Killaloo. So <laughs> we always had some sort of a, of a boat. Yeah, I think it was the St. Killian was the name of the boat outside the, the Lakeside Hotel. It was just a pleasure craft that you could go out and take a, a little tour. And that's where they met. So Killaloo, I suppose, always drew my parents back and drew us back. And there was always a real love of, you know, water. And just like we, there was always a little lake boat there, even when we lived in Maru. Mm. So it's funny that it it, it, it ended up being our, our actual home, maybe eight or nine years after my parents met there. Yeah, That's or maybe amazing. it wasn't so strange. But, what what you did know. you call the pub? Uh, oh, it was Brendan Foley's. Brilliant. It was, yeah, yeah, Brendan Foley's. Uh, pub but now to be fair my dad was still working as a sales rep for I think it was C&C at the time so actually it should have been Sheila Foley's pub because <laughs> she was the one who was working <laughs> really like hard da- the powerhouse yeah, of yeah. the family huh? the powerhouse of the family you know the engine room in, yeah. in our case the engine room um, but, but yeah because dad was still playing Susan dad yeah. was playing rugby and working and my mom had you know a pub she was doing food and three kids oh my gosh wow did your you like my dad played for Ireland too Are, were they around the same vintage um and I've met your dad Susan mm. I have I've met, I've met your lovely dad I'm not sure are they they're roughly around the 75? same age they couldn't be too far in the difference you know yes dad 75 and and my dad is a little bit younger than that, so okay. I'd say your dad must have played a bit before yeah. mine, just yeah. a small bit, not not much, I'd say. It's mad, isn't it? Like actually, <laughs> we have that in common—the fact that both our dads played, and then our brothers played for international international level, and you, which we will talk about in a minute, <laughs> and <laughs> you, not me, unfortunately, <laughs> um, but. God, one thing that really has become very apparent is how highly successful the siblings are on this pod. (laughs) You know, be it drive, ambition, competitiveness, you name it. Like, it's it's so interesting. Anyway, what kind of kids were you? What type of personalities, like Rosie, Anthony, Orler, were you all very different? Um... I suppose because there was very little between myself and Anthony, I suppose we could have been as thick as thieves. But the great thing I loved, Susan, and I don't know, uh, were you the same with poor old, uh, <laughs> poor old Brian or that, is that I was great at being able to give him a good few thumps and all the rest <laughs> until we were about 12. Yeah. And I think, yeah, yeah, it was great. You know, could have hit him a good old box and all the rest in, in all sorts of sports. And next thing I remember, I'd say 12 or 13, and he hit me, he hit me. And I remember thinking, I'm not doing that again. <laughs> yes, there are similarities in my family. We've our older sister, Julie, then me. Julie, yes. Then yes. Brian. And I used to taunt Brian as, as a kid. And mum was amazed that Brian didn't turn around and box me. But he didn't. Um, but that does absolutely sound very familiar. Like, you know, it's the, it's the dynamic between siblings. They absolutely do your head in and then you can be so close <laughs> later on. And what kind of, uh, like, w- w- what? You were all mad into sport, were you, growing up? Well, we were. We were. Now, in fairness, uh, Orla, our, our, our younger sister, I suppose, um, would have been into sport, but actually would be more the nurturing kind of, you know, she's the physical therapist. She's the one who would be kind of, kind of, if you like patching you up or kind of, <laughs> you know, a, a bit more into kind of her own self-care, a little bit more than we were, you know? So, you know, it's funny pers- personalities. And of course, then Anthony would have been, uh, you know, a, a little bit, quieter whereas I'm always loud and always have been loud and from working in pools and teaching and that I think I've actually got louder so (laughs) it's funny the way we're all 
different, you yeah. know. And I, 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 lots of people in different houses would probably say the same thing about the, about their own siblings. As well. Totally, <laughs> all totally. But, but sport obviously played a huge role. What what kind of you you touched on it there? Anthony was quiet. What what other kind of qualities did he have as a kid? Did he kind of quietly play his ga and start rugby and? you know, everything else that came to Killaloo or what What type of a child, if you can give us a snapshot, was he? Um, yes, you know, because I suppose dad was play, playing rugby in that. And I suppose from my point of view, I remember watching all these boys and men playing. And of course, I was wondering why the hell I can't do mm. that. But that's another, another day's work. But uh, Anthony then, you know, and in fairness to my parents, between Anthony, uh, myself and Orla, like they encouraged us to do everything. So I think I was 12 or 13 before I realized that actually I can't do the same stuff as Anthony is doing because there isn't a pathway or there isn't a team for me or in particular rugby would have been at Susan, you know, because uh, I played camogie and ga yeah. and soccer and all the rest. But when I was growing up, there wasn't women's rugby in Ireland at the time. Uh, and it was just, it, it, it was, it, it, it I suppose it, it drove me on to start a uh, women's rugby team in UL in the University of Limerick where I ended up as a mature student and that and it just it really kicked on from there but I suppose it was because I was exposed to going to we, we all went to dad's rugby matches now I wasn't allowed into the changing rooms whereas <laughs> Anthony was and dad always sat in the corner where Anthony sat and sat later on in life when he was playing himself mm. and Orla and myself then would be out, outside and you see ma'am had uh, had to look after the pub if she couldn't come to the training or uh, usually she she made matches so we were exposed to everything and I suppose really luckily Killaloo is you know staunch GA uh, camogie um, and, and hurling um, I played then Gaelic football with Milik and the lads, my dad and Anthony ended up playing a bit of uh, soccer then uh, between locally and in Limerick. So there was, it was always something on the go. But the big thing that Killaloo, I think, brought us was the water-based sports. Yeah. Do you know, the, yeah. the the swimming and the sailing and all those kind of things. So I think we were blessed in what we were exposed to because of the, ge- you know, the, the geography of where we actually grew up as well, you know. Absolutely. And the fact that sport was part and parcel of it yeah so blessed really looking back on it yeah so there's god there's so many questions I want to ask you I, I, the photos you sent me through I'm going to pop, pop a few of these on on social when when this episode comes out and it's it's um you know it, it's brilliant what you've shown um me in terms of the family and the activities and all of that you're a very strong swimmer um what what were the photos that you sent what where you were going have you done like channel swims like give us a little bit yes. of a snapshot as to what you've done um with the swimming <laughs> okay so with with the swimming just to give you kind of a bit of background and when we went to Killaloo first uh because we're right beside the water uh my parents encouraged us to learn how to swim yeah so we went <laughs> about that and it was always a little goal um, as to, you know, or a little reward or a carrot at the end of the stick. And in our case, you went across to Jimmy Whelan's, across the road, you picked out a toy and mine was a rag doll with yellow hair. And the idea was then uh, that after the few months of the summer, if you could swim, you got that. So that was basically the carrot dangling at the end of the stick. So I learned how to swim. Yeah. And we all did, yeah. right? Between the outdoor pool in Ballina, which is just across the road from us in, in, in Killaloo, and we'll say the the pier head um, and and the lake itself. So it was in there, um, and I actually saw a lady by the name of Gertrude Elderly, who was the first woman to swim across the English Channel. It was a black and white documentary. I was upstairs in the pub where our sitting room was because that's we lived uh, above the pub. Yeah, and I saw her, and she was the first woman to swim across the English Channel. And I remember distinctly at about eleven or twelve, thinking in my own head. I'm going to do that someday. I'm wow. going to do that someday. So I did. I swam across the English Channel in my togs, hat and goggles. Um, when, when was this? And, like how long did it take uh, you to tw- try? 2014. <laughs> tw- tw- 2014. And it took me uh, 15 hours and 53 <sighs> minutes to swim from Shakespeare's Beach to, uh, to France. Um, yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Crikey, yeah, yeah. you obviously had a big crew with you as well, did you? 
Um, I had one of my my best buddies, Fanula Walsh, and my long-suffering, fabulous husband, Pat Minogue. And at home then, Anthony and Olive, uh, my parents, Brendan and Sheila and Orla, they were actually minding our three kids while Mammy was familiar across the English Channel. Yes. How how, how was it? How did you find it? (laughs) Do you know, it's, it's like lots of things, Susan. I think I look at it like it... To me, it was something I always wanted to do. It was there. It was in my head. It's a very solo thing in that, you know, you you have to swim it, but the support around you is really what carries you through. So I I was lucky that way. It's like everything. You just train hard. Mm. And I mean, you need an awful lot of luck. And I remember thinking how privileged and lucky I am to be able to chase a dream like this and to be actually doing it. So it was 26th of July. The weather was absolutely gorgeous. And I also knew that the Irish women's rugby team were flying to France the following day to um, compete in the Women's World Cup in which they beat the Black black Ferns. So there's all sorts of things that go through your head when you're doing all of these things, you know. Absolutely. All those elements of stuff. Yeah, yeah. How many many, um, phases were there in that 15 hours? Like what? how many, when you got into the water... (laughs) How long would you do? And then you get into the boat and would you take... No! What? It's English Channel rules, girl. English oh, Channel okay. rules, yeah. Spot so, the um, um, channel swimmer yes, right here. <laughs> yes. No, you're absolutely fine. So uh, English Channel rules are that you can't be touched, uh, propelled in any way, uh, and you certainly can't touch a boat Um <sighs> And when you get when you're brought across the beach that you're starting in, you actually get out of the boat, swim to the beach, exit the water, and only when you enter the water again does your swim start. Then you swim, and then you swim until you get to France. So Stop. basically, the feeding plan is what you want it to be. So for me, it's you know head down for an hour, um, and just get into the you know get settled, get into it, get some of the nerves out of your system. And then it's a drink and then feed every half an hour after that. So they will pop you down a bottle or a kind of a makeshift type bowl with a string on the end of it, depending on whether it's a bit of banana with Nutella or it's a carbohydrate drink you're having or, what you know, a couple of jellies, whatever, whatever it is. So and there's an independent observer on board the boat as well to make sure that all the rules are adhered to. And basically, that's it as you head across. So it's in little, if you like, in your head, it's it's kind of to the next feed. For me, it would be to the next feed, you know. And, yeah. You know, yeah. And oh look God. how big that boat is over there. Do you know this kind of stuff? <laughs> <laughs> what would you, like, yeah. when you have dark <laughs> moments, of which I'm sure there are many, yes. how is your mental strength, like, how do you overcome those moments? I suppose you use all sorts of things, yes. And you're 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 dead right, Susan. It's it's just like life that you really have the real highs and and the low low lows. And I suppose I think I keep coming back to things. We had lost uh, a staff member uh, in 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 school pretty suddenly, um, who had had breast cancer and had been in remission, and then all of a sudden got sick again on us, and we'd lost a sixteen year old student to cancer as well, uh, yeah. Ben Kickers all that that year so there's there's a bit of that coming through you as well I would have thought of my grandmother you know the kid the kids are back in uh, you know Killaloo and sure they think mammy is mad and as does my mother um and there's there's things like that but I think what really drives me on is that how lucky are you to be able to give this a go yeah and um, unless you're actually going to you know you know, be on very unwell or something like that, that you have to come out. Well, why not keep going to the next half an hour or the next speed and see how you are then in your head? Did sometimes you... I'm singing, sometimes it's this, <laughs> sometimes it's what the hell am I doing here? Did how ever... am I, God's did... name am I doing this? Why am I doing this? Do you did know? You, did you ever because kind of think you I'm lucky enough? Yes. Did you? Oh, did I ever think I wasn't going to, to, to get across? I suppose when you start first, you kind of go, oh God, like it's. <laughs> It's over there and Jesus, you know, will will I ever get there? And I think there's a funny drive in you then to let's see how far I can get, you know. But I think Amazing. in my head I always I always thought, I'm getting in here now and I'm getting out in France. And it doesn't always work out like that. And when and you did get lots out of things to say. in France, Rosie, 
like, were you actually able to walk uh, getting out or were you pulled out of <laughs> the could, water? I could still see it in my mind's eye. So as we're swimming into France, you feel the water getting warmer. And then you can see this lovely phosphor essence underneath you. It's just sparkling. And actually, the, 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 the moon was out and the stars were sparkling in the sky and the water was warm. And I knew, you know, I knew, yeah, I'm, I'm getting there. Now, there's funny currents, as with everything, uh, as you get off the coast of France. And, and kind of you just have to keep, you know, tip, tipping away, swimming away. And I remember kind of being told, well, this is your last feed. And that's all you need to hear. Yeah. That means there's the, 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 there's actually nothing left, that the shoreline is it's over there. It, it is over there. But what they do allow is um, they allow, we'll say, my, my husband and my friend Fanula to go in behind you, not to touch you, mm. because you can't be touched until you exit the water. Getcha. But I remember, yeah, I remember I could see the sand underneath me and, you know, put, putting the feet down. And because you have been, we'll say, swimming for so long, you're dead right. You are a bit unsteady a little bit. But I just remember thinking, oh, my God, this is I, I, I've done it. It, it. You know, we're here. We're, we're here. And then um, clearing the water, the hooter goes off in the boat, which means your swim is finished. And just, you know, the hogs, the crack picking up the stones because I had to bring a stone back from the beach to to uh, each of my kids, yeah. all of that, putting them inside the old togs, you know, and then making your way back out on, onto the boat because it can't come into the actual shoreline itself. Uh, and just the, I don't know, is it your, uh, I remember feeling that there was definitely relief, but totally exhilarated at the mm. fact that you can push yourself so far you know, you can actually uh, so lucky and privileged to get across. You know, I, I remember all of that. I remember yeah. feeling all of that. Yeah, That's just amazing. Your mental amazing. strength is <laughs> fifteen hours something. Fifteen hours and fifty-three minutes. Oh, Christ, yeah, nearly sixteen hours. Listen, we we could nearly go. Listen, thanks a million for coming on the podcast—an <laughs> uh, insight into Rosie Foley. Oh my God. Okay, I'm just really conscious that there's so much more to talk about, but that is fascinating. Oh my gosh. Oh wow. I take my hat off no. to you. Okay, so mm. sport-wise, rugby. You touched on it earlier. There was no rugby available. Obviously, meanwhile, Anthony was, you know, doing great, you know, teenage years, playing away. There's two questions here, really. When when did you start playing rugby? And was there a point in time that your rugby playing careers kind of were in parallel as such? So I started playing rugby when I went back to the University of Limerick as a mature student. And after my first year in uh, UL, I contacted Dave Conway, who would have been the student officer here at the time, whom I would have known through rugby. Yeah. And I contacted Dave and said, is there a possibility of having a women's rugby team? Can we start a women's rugby team here? Um, I was studying PE uh, and geography. So with PE, we had sports science students with us. And Dave said, sure, Rosie, no problem. And I started the rugby team inside Newell, got all the PE students such as Fiona Coughlin, Sarah Jane Belton, Adel Cohen, Jean Lonergan, um, and anybody, the likes of Lynn Cantwell, all of them, um, gathered them all up and said, we're, we're playing rugby and that's it, you know. So uh, that was when we started playing wow. rugby. I then went on to play with Shannon lucky enough then to Captain Munster. Uh, so Anthony Captain Munster as well. Uh, mm-hmm. And I Captain Munster to uh, interprovincial uh, success as well. And Anthony played against Italy in Rome the day I got my first cap against Spain in Spain. Oh my God. How old were you when you got your first cap? Oh, Never. good Lord. <laughs> what age was I then? Yeah. Uh, was I 26? That's amazing. Six. Yeah, yeah, 25, I think, 25, yeah. yeah well, the reason yeah, I ask yeah. that is how old were you when you started playing? Uh, I would have gone back as a mature student at uh, 23. Three so, years yeah. and you were on yeah. the international scene. Like, that's phenomenal. In, in, in women's sport, yes, it is. 
but there wouldn't have been a pathway for women in sport in rugby. So I would have done every other sport under the sun. As I said, camogie, Gaelic football, soccer. Uh, we did it all, tennis, badminton, anything that you could actually do, I think uh, I would have done before. And I think all of those skills and sports all play into, you You, you know, you being, having the skills and the athletic ability to, to, to go on then and play something like rugby, yeah. For sure. Plus for watching sure. it. Plus watching it all my life. God, you know, you no, the... no different use. Yeah. Season, you no, know, absolutely. You know. When you're exposed to it, it, it becomes kind of... It, it's just the norm and we were similar Julie, Brian and I you know you mentioned like if Wimbledon was on we were all playing out, playing tennis out the back you know God, initially 90 I've strong memories of that um, you know like you name it we did golf uh, hockey camps yeah we were we were all mad on playing everything the difference was that Brian had unbelievable talent that he used to pick up one of the hockey sticks that Julie and I would be playing with and he'd be able to kind of dribble like a bloody half professional which was really annoying but it, that was the difference but we loved it and you know it was something that we always just did as as a family. Fast forwarding to to Anthony's career um, when you know he was he was very very successful in Munster and then on the Irish side when do you does does a moment stand out when you thought crikey he has done he's kind of made it he's he's on the monster scene he's on the international scene I'm sure the we 2006 play. it was at the the Heineken Cup final when Munster oh beat listen that like, was that was that was actually unbelievable because there had been so you know near misses prior to that yeah and like I had had. Um, uh, Oshin, my my eldest son, uh, and Tony, they were only infants at the time, and uh, over and into the Millennium Stadium uh, with 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 the kids, um, you know, little ear earphone or muffiny type things on their ears, yeah. you know, because of the sound, um, and you know, it was it was unbelievable. Like uh, uh, Stringer scored, you know, on our side of the pitch, if you like, you know. When he when he ran over with that ball from the base of the scrum, you know, it was it was things like that, you know, um, uh, and and the other things that kind of like that that to me was just uh, an entity. I think got got in trouble later for saying that it, it was the highlight highlight of his life uh, I think, <laughs> I, think like, he had to roll, I think he had to he had to roll back a little bit on that but maybe as, as, as his sporting life I, I would say yeah. and I mean as you know Susan you know we're all there for the highs and the lows and yep. you know when you see things like that happen with, with you know with with a sibling involved I mean you're extremely proud because you know you know how difficult it yeah. can be with injuries and not being selected and all that kind of stuff, you know. Big so, time, big um, time. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I, I really appreciative of that. Um, and then we both played in the same uh, place twice. So we played England in Twickenham um, before Ireland played, uh, the Ireland men played yeah. um, England. And unfortunately, the same day, the, the boys came out to see the first half of our game, which was fantastic because that support means an awful lot to to women's sport. Yeah. But unfortunately, there weren't tickets for either the English or the Irish women's team. And it was Anthony's 50th cap the same day. And I remember looking out, just peering out onto the pitch, just in the gap where you'd walk up yeah. to your seat uh, to see Anthony going out for his 50th cap. And then uh, we were, the Irish women's rugby team and the the English women's rugby team were brought across rugby house then to watch it on the TV. Gosh. So that was a high That's and a low, very bittersweet. Yeah. And then we played um, Scotland in Murrayfield, in Murrayfield after uh, the Irish men had played and Anthony was playing the same day. And uh, I remember him coming back along as we were waiting to go out onto the pitch as they were finishing and, you know, just, you know, the, him, him saying the best of luck and, uh, you know, and all the rest as, as we were going out onto the pitch. So there are lovely parallel memories of, of that, that, you know, th amazing. those kind of occasions. Yeah, what so they were, it, it was, yeah. What about Brendan, amazing. Sheila and Orla? Were they running from Anthony's <laughs> to your match? Lots of the time they were. My poor <laughs> husband, Pat, was juggling a hurling as well, you know. 
so yeah, there was a lot of that that went on over the years. But like, what a lovely privileged position in a sense, you know, sure. to, to have, you know, that you have the opportunity that your kids have that opportunity to don an Irish jersey and that, you know, your difficulty is to try and get to the venue in one sense, you know, and I always looked at it that way, yeah. you know, that is, isn't it fantastic that dad got to play rugby and rugby changed the path of my father's life because he went to St. Mary's Rugby Club in Limerick and somebody brought him there when he was 12. And because of that, he went to Shannon. He ended up playing uh, with Munster. They beat the All Blacks in 78. He yeah. had gotten a cap for, he'd gotten capped for Ireland. You know, you know, you know, that that lovely, you know, all these moments, these Sequence, moments in time that yeah. changed. Yeah, that just really, um, you know, I, I, I suppose I'm really, really grateful. Now, there are times, don't get me wrong, particularly in, in, in Anthony's career and coaching and that, that were extremely difficult mm. and difficult as as a, as a sister uh, to watch, you know, the social media, the the newspapers, the, the comments on TV and all that kind of stuff. None of that is, is easy and it's not easy for, for parents or, you know, uh, his, his wife Olive or, or the boys to hear it on the playground in school. Those are difficult moments as well, but it, it comes with, 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 with sports. So they're, yeah. they're very much the highs and lows. Can I ask you about that? Because it really, when Anthony, he retired, he announced his retirement at the end of... 2007 8, isn't that right? And Correct, then, yeah, yeah, he was gone eight, yeah, yeah, 2008, yeah. And then obviously, when he went into coaching, I mean, it was a it was a very tr- like challenging period mm. for him, ups and downs. And I think this chat even will highlight to some listeners we all they all hear about the you know the great times and oh, isn't it amazing? You're definitely giving such a realistic viewpoint, you know, perspective from family. Of, of of the highs which are amazing and the lows yeah. which are which can be quite frequent and it's can, can you give us um like how did you, you you mentioned it there just you found it quite stressful how did you all kind of get on get together and deal with the really challenging few years as when he was coach mm. it, you know it, it was very very difficult um and very difficult to 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 be watching it, you know, going on, and very little you can actually do about it. And, yeah. and I remember one Christmas, you know, it was a very low time. I mean, I kind of beat them in Tomon Park. They were looking for his head. There was lots of all that. I remember my poor parents uh, coming home because my kids would have been quite young. So, you know, we'd have taken it in turns to go to matches and that. And, and, and you know, that's the way it goes. They're yeah. the responsibilities that come with with parenthood and that, but um, I do recall my parents um, saying, "Look, you know, um, would you mind just going up? You know, it, it's particularly that was a bad, really bad result, you know, and you know maybe just be, being around." So I remember go, going up to 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 the house uh, on a Saturday evening after. Uh, you know, a, a pretty bad, bad de- defeat and sitting inside in the sitting room and Anthony was on his laptop at maybe 11 o'clock at night, you know, and uh, I think it was like, it was either a, a Hawaii 5.0 would have been a, a big favourite of Anthony's, you know, or or the CSIs, but it was Hawaii 5.0 that was on the, the TV and, you know, he, he was trying, he was getting on with with his job and, and analysing the stuff. This cut to the core, this, this, Nobody ever sets out to not succeed, and it was it was very difficult and and difficult for those people um, uh, around, you know, closest to him. You feel almost like a helplessness, yeah. and you just want to throw this comfort blanket over them. And yet, they're they're grown adults. You know, we all we all have our own responsibilities and so on but i can i can i can completely identify with that when brian got spear tackled in new zealand in 2005 Correct. and the chips were really down we just all kind of got together and just hung out and just made sure he was okay and that's that's all family can do um obviously i He's been i be there that's yeah, right yeah, yeah. Rosie, I, I mentioned in my introduction, obviously, there was a huge tragedy um, where Anthony passed away in, in Paris while he was head coach. Are you OK to give us a, 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 a brief synopsis of, you know, that day? 
Oh, I, I, I certainly can, Susan. I mean, like a, a very, very dark day, as you can as you can imagine. Everybody has suffered loss of a loved one, you know. Yeah. But in, in our case, um, my son Oshin, he had his birthday. He, he he was born on the thirteenth of October, and Anthony passed on the sixteenth of October. So, as as I mentioned, family to us is his huge. You know, like to me, Anthony was in great form. He adored having Razi uh, Rasmus around. It had to me, it had taken a real weight off him. Yes, he he was more back to himself. Um, it, you know, just in great form, all chat, all of the, all of that, and then set off with the lads as you do. And of course, like everything, Susan, you expect things to stay the same, and you know, see after the the wrestling match and best to look and all that kind of stuff. And the Sunday morning. Um, I went for a cycle with two of my friends, uh, came back around and met my mother at the bottom of our road. And she would have had uh, the the grandkids happened to be in the car with her. My own husband had taken my son Oshin um, to uh, a soccer academy training. So it's busy, no different to to normal houses, just a busy house, getting ready to watch the match in the afternoon, you know, and I remember then, uh, went home, Mam said that she'd meet us down in the coffee pot, or we call it the French Cafe, which is very ironic when you think about it. Yeah. So we went down, um, Mam had the, uh, my mother had the kids inside there, um, my sister Orla met us there, and we went about having, um, we'll say, a, a breakfast lunch as such. And next thing, I just remember my husband ringing me, coming from Oshin's training, just to say that um, he needed to talk to me um, very urgently. And we were in a very public place, being in in, in the French cafe in Killaloo. Uh, yeah. So I said to uh, my mother, I lied to her. I said that um, uh, something has happened with Oshin. Yes. My son. Um, and I just need to talk to Pat because I could tell there was something wrong. I didn't know what was wrong. And I said to Orla, will you come with me? So my mother, my poor mother was left with the kids inside and uh, Orla came out with me and we met Pat and I could see there was something with Pat and he just told me that uh, Anthony didn't wake up. Really? He got out of the car and just said Anthony didn't wake up. Now, I don't know, is this training of whatever I don't know what it is but you can put stuff in compartments and I remember thinking to myself I just my mother can't find this out any other way like she can't find it out in a public place she can't inside in the French cafe in in in, um, in Killaloo Sky Sports or Sky News sorry I beg your pardon is on in the corner Gosh. and we all know that social media works very very quickly um so I remember thinking, oh, Jesus, my priority now is to get my mother out of there. And what about Olive? Do you know? Yeah. So it was, um, I went into ma'am and I said, um, ma'am, uh, we, we have to go. And she said, oh, what you, what, what, why do we have to go? And I said, well, um, I'm, I'm worried about Oshin. He got a bang to the head. I think he could be concussed. And she said, oh, OK, so we'll take him to Shannon Dock, as grannies do. And I said, oh, yeah, yeah uh, Pat, uh, we'll meet Pat there or whatever. So we got to Shannon Dock in Killaloo, uh, which is uh, like a minute away. Mm. And I said, oh, he must have taken him home or that, ma'am. You know, maybe we'll just go up, up home to, to your house, which is just above ours. And we got up there and, and a friend of my mother's was there, Margaret Lowry, because her husband was with my father in Paris. OK, so she so just. Yes. So Joss, who was with my who was with my uh, father, must have rang his wife, Margaret. Margaret had come out to the house that my mother didn't know at the stage yeah. that Anthony had passed. And um, we were inside in the car and she said, what's Margaret Lowry doing here? Do you know what's up? And I said I, had, I told her then that Anthony didn't wake up. And yeah, she she kind of looked at me very disbelievingly as you would. And I said it to her again. And she said she had to ring dad, which 
which she did. And um, it kind of, it, 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 it went, she spoke to dad and then Margaret was there and I was there. And then our focus turned again to Pat had taken the kids um, in the car. So we had Tony and Dan. So we had to make sure that they went up home and up to Olive then so that we were there when, when Olive found out as well. It, it was just, it's, it's very surreal in one sense, but it's, it's very vivid in, 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 in my memory anyway, yeah. um, of, of everything that, that, that unfolded and how quickly it all unfolded. Yeah. I, yeah. Do you think, I'm sure you do, the fact that your dad, Brendan, was in Paris was a huge comfort to have some family member there? It, it, it was. And, you know, in one sense, he got up, he, they, they left him go up and peep, peep into the room so he could see, he actually saw uh, Anthony, you know, as as they found him, yeah. which is a little bit of a comfort in that, you know, it's where it's how he normally slept, as, as dad said, you know, um, so he, he wasn't in any pain or, disco- do you know what I mean? He didn't look as if he had a painful passing or that in that sense I suppose it was it was a comfort but you know you're right when you talk about the fact that dad was there but when dad had to come home and like with so many people that really helped and unfortunately on the Munster team flight back there 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 was one spare seat and they had you know that my my dad obviously took Anthony's seat on the way back which is kind of you know very sad in that way but I took great comfort in the fact that um, uh, Ronan O'Gara um, was uh, obviously harassing at the time and sure. Jess, his, his lovely wife, and that uh, um, uh, Prendy was, were, were all over there. And like knowing that at least there were other people who knew Anthony well, at least in the same uh, city uh, as him, and that, you know, my instinct... Susan, to be perfectly honest, was it was to get on the next plane and go over. Yeah, but the, the, there was lots to do. Um, we'll say at this side first, you know, talking with the the the, the consulate and all that, which were a huge help, as were the Department of, of Foreign Affairs, you know, and um, just tr- trying to get that much sorted fa- fairly fairly quickly, and then. Um, you know, to to manage uh, getting Anthony back to uh, to Ireland because it's like everything; it boils down to costs and things like that. So the insurance would have covered him to come in cargo to Dublin, and no disrespect, no to Dublin, right? Yeah, <laughs> and Leinster, but um, I just felt he needed to come home to Munster, and um, I spoke with my my husband Pat and it, it, we, we went down to 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 our house and um uh, we'd met Paul and Barry Murphy the day before you know in fairness they'd all come out to Olive's house and uh, uh Paul said to me he said Rosie said if you need anything babysitting minding the kids whatever it is sandwiches j- just give myself and Emily a, a ring you know you have my number yeah. Paul O'Connell sorry yeah, yeah. Paul O'Connell yeah. and um uh I said to Pat, I said, how much is it to to hire a, a plane, you know? And Jesus, Pat says, I, I don't know, but should we, 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 can find it, we can find out. I said, hold on one second now. I'm just going to ring pa- Paulie, oh. Paul O'Connell, mm. and see what he thinks. And he said, leave it with me, Rosie. And he came back to me and he said, the next phone call you get uh, will be uh, from, from Ryanair and uh, Michael O'Leary. And it was. And it 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 just it's it started from there. And uh, Michael himself said, "There's th- th- there's a sixty seater uh, available to to you, Rosie, um, to go from wherever and whenever y- you need it and want it at your disposal." Amazing. Um, so yeah, and the other thing then that really hit me was uh, a prominent person then told me that I couldn't shoulder my brother's coffin, which I didn't take very well. As you can imagine. Yes. So <laughs> I hope you told that prominent so, person your opinion. <laughs> I certainly, I certainly did. But I was told that women don't shoulder coffins. But luckily enough, I had done my research before that. 
and I had uh, spoken to our, our lovely um, local uh, undertaker, who's John Lynch, and he uh, said to me, Rosie, uh, he said, I had, I had six daughters of a man and they had no bother shoulder, and you're well able, you have a fine set of shoulders <laughs> on you. And I went, thank you, John, in my head, you know, so that when the question was going to be asked, which I knew it would be, um, you know, as, as the way ritual goes. And I said, well, actually, I'm quite happy to. You know, we were together all our lives. I'm not really going to stop now, and you know, it, so. It, yeah, it was so crucial. And what, what was it that actually caused him, him to pass away? It was a, a heart uh, condition um, and a lot and like a lot of sudden deaths like that, it, it can occur at um, any time. I think they call it a, a pulmonary edema. Mm. Um, and we got great um, support from um, the cardiac risk in the young centre or the cry centre based in Tala in Dublin. So we went up to Dr. Deirdre Ward up there and I know that Olive uh, went up to the matter as well with the boys and we got everybody checked and they're a constant for us. You know, you get called back every um, two years approximately. They have tested the kids. They tell you what to look out for. And I suppose you get, you know, some bit of comfort for that. So I suppose when we were talking about the swims and stuff earlier on and and Orla has done this as well with, with her cycles. Uh, Orla's Wild Ways is Anthony supported a lot of charities and we'll say the Cardiac Risk and the Young supported us. So Orla came up with the idea then of giving back a little bit. So um, I think there's about over 30,000 there that we have raised in the last year or so for wow. the Midwest Cancer Foundation. Uh, for Carrie uh, here in Limerick and for the Cardiac Risk in the Young uh, based in Tallis. Fast forward, like it was probably a complete blur, the aftermath of it. How are Olive and Tony and Dan doing and your own folks? How how are they doing now? So I looked at it and I my parents, I'm very, I found that I'm very similar to my father in that. So what's the next thing? Right. And the next thing for us was that everything would be, you know, back to kind of a routine. The kids go back to school. I go back to school. So that routine is very important. And I, I know that I had a very strong feeling myself that as as a role model for my kids, I needed to show them that life has to go on. And I know that I got that from my parents. and. Very definitely, Olive is the, the 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 very same. Now, do we miss him every single day of the week? Yes, we do. Do we think of him all the time? Yes, we do. But, you know, life has to go on. And, you know, we have to keep forging our own path because we only have one life. And to answer your question, my parents are, thank God, in great form. My father has just uh, retired from the bus business. And he is now junior vice president with Munster Rugby. Oh, and wow. he's God. In a couple of years' time, he'll be president of Munster Rugby. Um, I'm president of Balnaikilu, our local um, uh, rugby club. Um, is the pub gone? Uh, the pub is gone. The pub is gone. <laughs> and they went into buses. They went into buses. Uh, okay. Now, we lasted the pub for um, just under 10 years. Okay. It's not a sustainable... Um, uh, you know, business to, to be in. Uh, Anthony's boys and my boys have followed Anthony into St. Munchen's College, where they're well looked after. How old and are Tony, Tony and Dan? They're 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 yeah, their boys. So, yeah, so t- Tony was seventeen in May, and just finished transition year. Um, and himself and my son Oshin are in the same class. Oh, amazing! Inside in St. Munchen's, playing on the same teams. Thank God and. Dan then uh, is uh, 14 and he is in third year, going into third year with my son, Brendy, again in St. Munchens and uh, well looked after by David Quilter and all the, the, the gang inside there. And my daughter, Shifer, then has just started first year in St. Anne's Community College in Killaloo. Uh, where her mammy teaches. Oh my gosh, how'd she <laughs> feel about that? Susan, Susan, <laughs> she loves it. And all she wants to do, uh, she plays everything, but 
she she told me the other day all she wants to do is she wants to play rugby for Ireland. Oh, there you go. Well, you she know, wants to play rugby for Ireland. There you go. She's got the genes. So, she's yeah, got the determination. Life sounds so, so yeah, <laughs> oh, for sure. Life sounds so incredibly busy, fulfilled, hectic, bit like my own. Um, you've been absolutely brilliant talking to me. So honest and, um. Just, I, I really appreciate it. I want to end on a slightly lighter note, if I may. Will you tell us where Axel came from, the nickname? I know it is Axel Foley from Beverly Hills Cop, but who who thought it up? And when when did it, you know, how did it stick? <laughs> well, I, do you know what? Um, he had, he had a, a, a huge amount of nicknames in, in secondary school in St. Munchens. Anthony was a boarder inside in St. Munchens College. So I know there was a variety of different names in, in, inside there. But the Axel thing definitely came from rugby. Definitely <laughs> came from rugby. It, it, it Without a shadow. And it, it was Axel Foley, as you say, Beverly Hills yeah. Cop and all that. I love that movie. Uh, a few of them. <laughs> yeah, I, you do, it, it stuck through rugby. And it struck through the likes of Galway and Claw and Eddie Halvey and all these guys. And it was it wasn't Ant or as my mother calls him Anthony. It was Axel. Did was you Axel, call him Axel? Axel? No, I call him Anthony. And did was was any of the family member ever call him a- Axel? No. Okay. Okay. So you don't actually. <laughs> so go, like Mick Galway or one of the lads started calling him yeah. Axel one day, and it just stuck. Yeah, that, 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 that was it. That yeah. was it. It's it's a funny one, you know. When I think of all the other uh, names, it, it's actually quite a good one, and it, it is. Them. It is really does, <laughs> really does. Well, it's gorgeous here when you laugh at the end of this chat. You know, talk about the highs and the lows. Mm. A family of life. Um, Rosie, you've been brilliant. I'm still flabbergasted by that uh, channel swim. Seriously. <laughs> I'm going to be like, for, I'm going to be looking you up now. Everybody is after this too. Uh, listen, thanks a million. I wish you all the love and luck, um, you know, in, in life. And you're just a brilliant person. I really appreciate you being on the pod. Thank you so much, Susan. All really right. enjoyable. Thank Take you. care. Cheers. Thank you. Bye-bye. And that's it for series two, folks. Thank you so much for joining me on this journey of chats, laughs, tears and real honesty. I've loved every second of it, especially as we were so starved of human connection for two years due to that tiny global pandemic that never really took hold. I do want to say a huge thank you to the producers at News Talk, Owen and John and Dara, who produced each episode, to Trish Monaghan for taking a punt with me, for all the internal marketing and digital team for supporting the podcast As you know, it takes a village to get something on the airwaves and I'm so glad I took that chance. To my guests on series one and two, too many to mention, but you know exactly who you are. Thank you all for taking the time, trusting me with your story and being so honest and lovely during each of our chats. And lastly, to you guys, genuinely the listeners, I hope the insight was interesting and made us all realise that the human race is pretty similar in one way or another. So whilst the day job continues for me and one that I really continue to enjoy, I'll definitely be keeping my huge love of radio on in some shape or form. So we'll see what happens. Until then, thanks a mil and stay safe. Over and out. It's All Relative with Susan Bradley, an original podcast series from News Talk. From